Welcome to the Dharma Spring. So, you know, I vow not to misuse drugs is the precept this time. And I noticed, <clears throat> I kind of feel it's my job and it's happened over the course of this series from me but also from others is you know, when you think, oh, I've got that precept handled, then we get together and talk about it and realize, no, you don't. <laughs> so it's my job to show you that you are a killer and a liar and a thief. And um, remember somebody last time after I gave a talk, they were like, well, before you talk, I thought I had a good handle on things, but no, I don't. No, <laughs> I, I'm guilty, guilty. So my job today is to show us all how you're... Each of you is an addict. You're a misuser and abuser of substances. And I think I know how to do it. Um, because, you know, in the email and Tony's reply, like, I was just thinking about the illicit drugs and pharmaceuticals and thought I was good, but you talked about all this other stuff. It's like, yep. Um, but I, I, I think I've identified the base substance that we all... Uh, use and misuse and abuse. And I'll get to that in a moment. Um, we have a cliffhanger. Yeah. Because I was thinking back to when I was doing social work um, and also in the mental health field. There are different options you could explore specialty-wise. And some people got their CAC license Certified Addictions Counselor. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and the general idea is to really be an effective addictions counselor, you have to have been an addict yourself because then you can really relate to the people you're serving. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you might just be preaching to them and it doesn't make any sense. And that's why I never pursued that. <laughs> um, I wanted to. It was interesting territory, but I felt I had a disadvantage because... I didn't have that experience. So when I look at this precept of not misusing drugs, I'm like, well, on that level, the illicits and the pharmaceuticals, it's like, I don't really know. I can't speak to that experience so much. Um, and it's not for, I'm, this is phrasing it the wrong way, but it's not for lack of trying. <laughs> um, it's just not my makeup. And I was looking back, when I was 12, I started smoking. I had a friend who was a few years older, so he, I don't know what the age limit was back then, <clears throat> it was a while ago, but he was able to buy them. Maybe I could too, maybe they didn't have the restrictions, but we were able to get cigarettes, and that was our way of hanging out together, we'd hang out and smoke. So I smoked because I wanted to hang out with my friend and he smoked. And that went on for a couple of years. Then he moved away and I just stopped. I wasn't, I was like, eh. He's gone, no reason to smoke anymore. So there wasn't that physical addiction of the nicotine that they talk about for me. In college, you know, I did the same kind of thing. It was, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna try smoking again. <laughs> I tried it, did it for a while, and then when I was done, I just stopped. No, no, didn't need any help. I just said, ah, I'm done. So that could be frustrating for some people, I think. <laughs> um, and now, even now, well, not now, but in the years since that time, 
Every once in a while, I might go to, out with somebody who has a cigarette. Hey, can I have one? Mm-hmm. And I'll smoke it. But it's more for nostalgia. Oh, this reminds me of college. <laughs> it's not because I want to smoke or need to smoke. And I, then when I'm done, I'm done. So I don't have that makeup in me, which again could be frustrating for some people. Uh, those who try to put something down and they just can't. To me, it's like, well, I'm trying to get addicted and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a period about 20 years ago, maybe 22 years ago, or 21. Um, we just had a 20th anniversary, that's, that's my marker for this. But there was a period of time where I would say I abused alcohol. Um, not it, without going out with friends, doing the social thing, but having too much to drink because I was lonely. I didn't have anybody in my life who was a, a partner, wanted to, but also kind of resigned myself to, I'm just going to be alone the rest of my life. But it was a pretty lonely time. So, I mean, I drank, went out to the local bar and drank too much. I knew that. And luckily, you know, there weren't any disastrous consequences <laughs> during that time. But then Wendy and I met and things went in a different direction, so I just stopped drinking. <laughs> At least like that, yeah? Mm-hmm. Because I was no longer lonely. So I was able to just put that down. And um, because that void was filled. And then my practice began a little bit later. But within a year of us getting married, I started practicing. And um, hmm, realized that that behavior was escaping from myself. And I looked at the escape things that I do. We had, one of the first things I did when I started practicing was go through precepts and take refuge. So I explored this, oh, this escape, these things I do to escape from life and escape from myself. So I don't know when it was, but a few years into my practice, I was like, oh, I remember those times I would just drink and just completely escape. I missed that. So I thought, one time I went with the intention of, I'm going to drink too much and kind of escape and, you know, nostalgia. And I couldn't <laughs> because I was aware of what I was doing. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Even, I mean, it wasn't that I stopped drinking. I drank, but it didn't have the same effect because I knew I don't need to escape from something or I knew I'm trying to escape. So it was like, ah, I can't even get really drunk anymore. But in the years since, I discovered that's not true. <laughs> but it was not for any reason at all other than, yeah, I've always been a happy drunk anyway, so that, that, that's a positive thing maybe. <laughs> but so alcohol didn't get its effect, you know, get its hooks into me. Marijuana, you know, I did that also during the young age with the friend who we smoked cigarettes. And back then, marijuana was a different thing. Um, than it is today. It was a what thing? Different. Oh. It was kind of giggle, happy, just woo. And so, I, you know, that's, I never got deeply into that. But, you know, a few years ago, with marijuana being legalized recreationally, I just thought, huh, let me see what it's like these days. And it's like, dang, that's different stuff. <laughs> and I didn't like it because it disconnected me from things. So I didn't like the experience. When I was a kid, I liked it. Because it's kind of fun to be goofy and just have those, you know, the perma grin. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
what I, you know, a few years ago was like, I don't know why people do this. Why would they want to disconnect from their lives? So maybe that's, you know, practice has become the addiction or, you know, being connected to reality in a certain way has become the thing, I don't know if it's an addiction or the thing I preferred. So even that stuff, it never became a regular thing that I used and it doesn't even have an appeal to me. So that's just saying, you know, full disclosure, I can't talk to you about misusing drugs. Oh, let me go to the pharmaceutical route. I rarely, I don't even like to take them. Like allergy pills can make me feel groggy. And I hardly take anything at all. So much so that this has been a few years. I, I had a pain somewhere. And my thing is to let, just let it hang out for a bit, see if the body will take care of it, and that's natural to go through it, even with allergies. I don't want to take too many pills, let my body adjust. So I'll hang out for a little while with it. Then if I need to go see somebody, I will, but I trust the natural processes to take over. So this pain was persisting for a little while. So I went to the clinic and saw the doc, or the PA, and I said, yeah, this pain's been this way, that. She goes, so um, you're taking ibuprofen? It's like, oh, no. That never even occurred to me. <laughs> like the common, take ibuprofen for you know, inflammation and pain. Wasn't, that's just how much it's not on my thoughts to even take any substance. So I was like, oh, yeah, that probably would have helped. And I might not even be here if I re realized there's ibuprofen. <laughs> so that's just how much it's not in my consciousness to reach out for things like that. So, here I am, somebody who's pretty clear of not having any experience with that or having it be an issue with those things, despite the experience. But I'll say, yes, I'm an addict. And I'd say we're all addicts, or at least abusers of one inherent substance that we all ingest, so to speak, on a daily basis. And that is our thoughts. <laughs> what we think about ourselves and about the world and the stories we tell about ourselves and about the world. That's the substance to which we all are, well, we all ingest, we all use that substance and it alters our being. And we can be misused or misuse them, mis be, be misused by or misuse them, and abuse them, or be abused by our own thoughts, our own minds, yeah? Mm -hmm. So, I was thinking on the way down, you know, is that really a substance? And then if you've seen Harry Potter, you've seen those movies? There's a, I think it's called the pen sieve. It's this place where you can take your thoughts out of your head and just put them away. So Dumbledore gets his wand and he goes like this and he pulls out a little th glowing, thready thought and it looks like a substance. I'm like, yeah, according to Harry Potter, it is a substance. <laughs> you can take it out and put it down. But it's a very organic substance, right? So if you look at that being the base thing that we work with, it really, all those other behaviors that I mentioned in the email, the you know, thrill-seeking or the isolation or I've got to achieve this to feel better about myself or I don't want to, you know, all those kind of things. And 
prescription drugs, illicit drugs, the reason we engage in such things is based in how we feel or think about ourselves or the world. Mm -hmm. So that's the base addiction. That's the base, uh, maybe I don't want to use addiction, but that's the base place that rhymes. Um, out of which those addictive behaviors or abusive misusing, misusing behaviors can come. I see everybody nodding their head, like, oh yeah, I have thoughts, and yeah, I, I know what it's like to, to indulge in them and, you know, get caught up in them. It's like, yeah, I do. So looking at Bodhidharma's, you know, not surrendering to delusions is called the vow of not misusing drugs. So delusions, the base delusion as I've talked about, it has two sides of the same coin. But, I mean, the, the basis of it is thinking we know how things are. Thinking we know this is how it is. Either by saying this isn't it, which gives us an idea that it is something else and this isn't it. <clears throat> or by saying this is it, <laughs> which isn't it either. But, it, you know, it, it's a delusion that we think this is who I am, or this is what I need to do to be happy. This is the right thing. Or, I'd never know how to do it. I, it's always wrong. You know, two sides of the same coin. But that's the delusion that we actually think we know how things are, who we are. And so, not surrendering to delusions, as Bodhidharma says, is you know not becoming a victim of your own thoughts, not being victim to them. It doesn't require them to go away, but don't let them abuse you. <laughs> and don't abuse them. And you do not have to be a victim to your thoughts. You don't have to believe in your thoughts. But they happen, and you get to notice how they inform what you do, you know. Mm -hmm. hmm, chocolate. <laughs> There's a substance oh. that I can say, yeah, my, my, maybe chocolate. Mm -hmm. I had to, full confession, oh yeah, chocolate. <laughs> um, well, that sure came up last night in our discussion. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, the thoughts that we're just, we just, that are on a loop, sort of, that, that yeah. we've had for so many decades. And yeah. Habitual. Habitual. That's that, you know, addiction just becomes a habitual pattern. And it could be a pattern of thinking, a pattern of behavior, or I think of, you know, the heart and mind as we, you know, the character for heart and mind being combined in one in our tradition. Heart mind really means being. When we combine our thoughts and our heart, our body and our actions, our way of being, we can kind of get stuck in a habit or addicted to a certain way of being. And we often don't question it because it's some of that stuff is just so deeply ingrained in us we don't even realize it's a story we've created. Particularly, I think, with um, family dynamics. Mm -hmm. How everybody becomes who they are in that family dy dynamic based upon who the other person is. Mm -hmm. So by me being that story, it helps the other person know who they are. Yeah? So it's helpful to be that story, but it's also helpful to realize I'm not that story. That's just something that's related to this particular dynamic. But how often do we carry the story of who we are in family out into the world and decide that's just who we are? It's not connected to the larger dynamic. 
so we can get addicted or caught in the habit of being, you know, fill in the blank, whatever you're, you are in your family, you know, the outcast, the one who's in charge, the one who's a mis, you know, whatever it is. And you might see yourself in the world that way, but that's just a habit, a habit of being. But it has its use. That's where the use and misuse comes in. It has its use when you're among the family because it helps them know who they are because you be who you be. <laughs> and it can become dysfunctional when you become a victim to it. And you might even be abusing others by fully embodying that too much without quite, you know, so this is where the territory gets, well, how do I do this then? How do I honor that we co-created one another? So it's helpful. But if I get stuck in it, it's not helpful. Because then they get stuck in the, you know. So the complex, complexity, com, you know, what I say? Complicated and complex. There, there, there is again, yeah. And that reminds me of returning home, as I would do when my mother was still alive, you know, at least annually, sometimes biannually. And when I walked in the house, I became 16 years old. It yeah. didn't matter that I was 52 yeah. or whatever age. And that's how she saw me. And as much as I would attempt to resist that, I would find myself having thoughts and behaviors that were 16. Right. Yeah. It was not good. <laughs> it was not helpful. It was not helpful. Exactly. <laughs> so now that we're stirring that pot, I'm not, let me wrap up here, and then we'll go into the larger territory of exploring together. That's like, okay, good. All right. You're seeing, yes, you are an addict. You are mis you know, that, that particular drug mm -hmm. that I'm calling a drug, the substance. So good, we're in that place. But I just want to bring in Dogen before we go further into our own explorations and um, our own. My name is Andrew, and I'm an addict to my thoughts. You know <laughs> that, that territory. <laughs> um, Welcome, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> because this, of all the precepts, this one line by Dogen is the one that I find the most dissatisfying. Drugs are not brought in yet. Don't bring them in. That is the great light. To me, like he's just so straightforward and just don't do it. It reminds me of like an abstinence counselor or a promoter. <laughs> just don't do it. Yeah, just don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't bring him in. No. Just stop. <laughs> it's like it doesn't be, that doesn't seem to be very much connected to reality and people's yeah. experience. Yeah. And I'm wondering, what was the original word in, that he used that was being translated as drugs, and I didn't look it up. But then I combined it with what I've been talking about and what um, uh, Bodhidharma says, delusion. Delusions are not brought in yet. Don't bring them in. That is the great light. Another way to say that is Things are what they are. No need to alter them. That is the great light. And to me, the things are just what they are includes this thing that we do where we get caught up in things, caught up in our stories and caught up in our behaviors and other people's stories and behaviors. That's part of how things are what they are. 
So it's fundamentally not a problem that we need to address and stop doing. But understand, oh, how do we do this? And how does it become this? And you know, understand the roots of it so that it, it can still happen but not have the damaging effects. So that we can be in the family dynamic and doing our part without feeling trapped in that and unseen, yeah. Not just in our families, in the world itself. So I was glad because this is the first time I kind of broke through his preachy sounding statement. This, this, this time, like, oh, things are exactly what they are, including all the things I do to see them as otherwise. There's no reason that I need to fix that, but I can understand it. And that is the great light, that I have the opportunity to look at the mess I create and understand it and enjoy creating it from a distance or not as, you know, not a victim to it again, not subject to it, but a, as a part of, oh, this is what it is to be Andrew. This is what it is to be human. I do these things. No problem. And to know that that, my life, as it is, is the great light? Huh. I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. For more about Andrew Palmer and his teachings, please visit bowandroar.com and look for him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.